His was a life defined by acts of faith that would change the course of history. Join us as Pastor Chris Chadwick preaches from the Bible on Abraham and the difficult journey of faith. Genesis chapter 20. Genesis chapter 20. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 20, uh, And Abraham journeyed thence toward the south country and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and sojourned in Gera. And Abraham said of Sarah his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gera, sent and took Sarah. And God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, thou art but a dead man for the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her, And he said, Lord, wilt thou slay also a righteous nation? Said he not unto me, she is my sister. And she even said herself, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocency of my hands, have I done this? And God said to him in a dream, yea, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of thine heart. For I also withheld thee from sinning against me. Therefore suffered I thee not to touch her, or I didn't allow you to touch her. Now therefore restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet, and he shall pray for thee, and thou shalt live. And if thou restore her not, know that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. Therefore Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told all these things in their ears, and the men were sore afraid. And Abimelech called Abram, Abraham rather, and said unto him, What hast thou done unto us? And what have I offended thee that thou brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? Thou hast done deeds unto me that ought not to be done. You shouldn't have done this, Abraham. What are you doing? And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What sawest thou that that has done this thing? Or in other words, verse number 10, Why would you do this to me? This makes no sense. And Abraham said, Because I thought, Surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will slay me for my wife's sake. Yet indeed she is my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said unto her, This is thy kindness which thou shalt show unto me. At every place whither we shall come, say of me, He is my brother. And Abimelech took sheep and oxen and men servants and women servants and gave them unto Abraham and restored him Sarah his wife. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before thee. Dwell where it pleaseth thee. And unto Sarah he said, Behold, I have given thy brother a thousand... Notice how he called him her brother. Just saying. A thousand pieces of silver... You say, how much is a thousand pieces of silver? Historians tell us, it won't come out in the message, so I'll say it now, about 25 pounds of silver. 
which in that day was more than any one man could ever make in his lifetime. It's not that way today because silver is much easier to mine than gold and easier to process. But in that day, it was a very, very difficult and an arduous process. And so a thousand pieces of silver, 25 pounds, more than, than the average working man, if you will, could ever make in his lifetime. Behold, he is to thee a covering of the eyes unto all that are with thee and with all others. Thus she was reproved. So Abraham prayed unto God and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maid servants and they bear children. For the Lord had fast closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. I've titled tonight's message, a title that is not unique to me and my study. I found this title and I felt it to be very, very appropriate. The perils of inconsistency. The perils of inconsistency. Between my sophomore and junior year in college, uh, my first year at Bible college, I went to four colleges total. That was the last one. And between my sophomore and my junior year in college, my dad and mom had moved from Spokane, Washington, where my dad had started a church, and they moved to Amarillo, Texas, where my dad was in the process of starting a church. Well, my dad had asked me to come and help uh, in the starting of the church, and I was more than happy to do so. And so I went to Texas, and I had a cousin, or have a cousin named Kenneth, and Kenneth uh, is older than my sister. I'm the youngest, uh, second youngest grandchild on my dad's side of the family, and Kenneth is one of the older ones. And Kenneth owned a business, and he was in his mid to late 40s at the time, and he was a uh, 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 carpenter, and he owned a what's called a fire and water restoration business. If you uh, blow a pipe in your house, a water pipe causes great damage. They come in, they turn the water off, uh, or the company that I worked for, Ken's company, uh, would turn the water off, and then uh, different groups would go in and do different things. And depending on the day, would depend on what I would do. Some days I would go in and and I would suck up water out of carpet because it was too heavy to tear out and get it out of the house. I mean, literally a piece of carpet, if it sucked up enough water with the pad could be like a thousand pounds. I mean, I, we never weighed it, but it was just too heavy to be able to maneuver around corners or anything. So you, you had to go through this whole process of sucking water out of the carpet with, with a big um, uh, shampooer, if you will, that was attached to a van like those professional ones. And, and uh, then once the water got light enough, then you'd go in, you'd take it out and then you'd start the uh, demolition process. And, and then you would rebuild. Well, if you, well, you were always able to, but you would rebuild. And there wasn't many things that they let this young guy do uh, because, well, I didn't know how to do anything construction-wise other than destroy stuff and forget stuff. That's what I knew how to do. So after I'd worked for a little while, uh, they started training me how to paint. And um, the, my first job for about two or three days was cleaning paintbrushes. And boy, you better clean the paintbrush right because painters are not nice people as a general rule. They're all a bunch of prima donnas and they're Purdy or Pittsburgh paint 
paintbrushes better be cleaned right. And if you clean a paintbrush right, that paintbrush will last you forever. I, I, no exaggeration. I have paintbrushes that are almost, they, they're like brand new and they're 30 years old. And I had learned that in that short period of time. Well, then I remember the day I was so excited that they let me paint. Now, these are professional painters. It's, it's not, you know, you know, Home Depot people where doers get things done kind of folks. These are people that know how to paint and they paint very, very well and they paint very, very fast. This is how fast they paint. If you have a sprayer, you know what a spray paint, sprayer is that sprays paint very quickly. The guys that I work with could brush and roll a room, an entire room, faster than you could use a sprayer. Uh, they, they were just that fast and they were amazing at what they did. Well, the first lesson that I learned was this. Uh, Chris, this is how you will paint. You will start in the top left-hand corner of the room and you'll work top to bottom, left to right. And I remember one of the painters pulled me aside and he said, now we're not teaching you this because we want your input later. Every time you paint, it is top to bottom, left to right. We don't ever want you to roll the walls. You'll never be good enough for us to roll the wall. We're going to let you cut in in a little bit where you go around the edges. And we want it top to bottom, left to right. And I said, well, what if I don't do it top to bottom, left to right? What if I go bottom to top, right to left? And I'm just asking because I wanted to know. And they were like, well, we're painters. So the first thing that will happen is we will beat you up. And the second thing that will happen is your cousin will fire you. I said, really? They said, yes. You're a painter now and you go top to bottom, left to right. We don't care about your opinion. We don't care about your thoughts. We want it consistent, top to bottom, left to right. And that never changed. Consistently. All day, every day, top to bottom, left to right. Well, why did they want that? Well, because that way, if I got called off in the middle of having to do something, and often we would be painting walls that looked very similar, and you ever get in the middle of painting a wall, and you're like, oh, where do I, where did I stop? Like, you get a phone call in the middle of painting, and you're painting a white wall on white, which, you know, is very, very common for folks, and halfway through, you're like, now, where was I at? And you stand back, and you're looking at it, and you're trying to figure it out. Well, when dollars are on the line and every second costs you more money, you don't want there to be any doubt at all where it is that you stopped. And if you stop somewhere and you kind of can't find it, you can go, okay, top to bottom, left to right. I can tell he's here. Okay. I can follow it right there. It was that way consistently every time. You go back and you look at my, com my cousin's business today. They're painting top to bottom, left to right. Consistency. When I played basketball, I was not a great shooter. I'm cross-eyed dominant, so my left eye is my dominant eye. My right eye has a stigmatism, and it's not the dominant eye. So my depth perception with my right eye, which should be my dominant eye because I'm right-handed, but my right eye is a little bit off. And I was constantly trying to adjust my form in shooting until I worked with a 
great shooting coach one time, and he said, your problem is you are inconsistent with your form. You're constantly changing things up. You're constantly adjusting because you think a little tweak will bring about a change and you just need to stick with one thing that you are doing. Consistency. The Christian life. There are some folks even in this room tonight who every once in a while, or maybe more often than not, man, you're really doing great things for God. But then you tank. And then you do great things for God. And then you tank. And then you do great things for God. And then you tank. And then you do great things for God. And then you tank. And that in some ways, and maybe nobody even knows you tank but you, and I'm not talking about having struggles. I'm talking about inconsistencies. And your life becomes a story of high hills and low valleys on top of the world and nowhere to be found. You're just inconsistent. If I could be so candid, inconsistent Christians are as a general rule extremely ineffective. As a general rule, They are extremely ineffective. We have in our text tonight a sandwich between two great victories in Abraham's life, a horrific picture of spiritual inconsistency. In Genesis chapter 19 that we looked at two weeks ago, the story of the destruction or the account of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, even in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, we see the spiritual height of Abram or Abraham. I don't know why I'm calling it Abram tonight. I apologize. Of Abraham. In verse number 29 of chapter 19, the Bible says, And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and those that were around it, we remember that, that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in the which Lot dwelt. What we understand from this passage of Scripture is that Abraham was the reason that Lot was blessed. Lot was not blessed because of anything that he did. God was in fact, verse 29, blessing Abraham and protecting Lot because of his love for Abraham. And God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out. Though there was great destruction, it was still a time of tremendous spiritual victory even though there was destruction. And then we would go to chapter 21. We need not read very far into chapter 21 to know that the Lord visited Sarah and he said that, uh, and did unto Sarah as he had spoken or promised all the way back in verse number 12, chapter number 12, where Sarah conceived and bare Abram a son in his old age. Abram's over 100. Sarah's in her 90s, had, had her 90th birthday, and at the set time which God had spoken of them. I mean, between these two events, 
events. Now, one was a, a destructive positive, and one was a beautiful picture of God keeping his promise in chapter 21. But between, sandwiched between these two events, we see Abram in a peril of inconsistency. Well, what's going on here, Pastor? Well, I'll take a few minutes, and then we'll make application, and we'll go home. Abraham is traveling south after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. In verse number one, he is staying in Gerah. He has come to the city of Gerah, and he's there. And, and he, in verse number two, he says to Sarah, his wife, says of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerah, sent and took Sarah. Now, it's interesting to note, if you were to read the previous event in chapter 12, if we were for time, which we won't, but if we were to read the previous event in Genesis chapter 12, verse number 11 through verse number 13, we would understand that Abraham is going before Pharaoh and Abraham is new to this walk of faith and Abraham is is well, maybe he's not new to this walk of faith, but in the way that he had been called out of the wilderness or out of Haran and out of the land of Ur of the Chaldees and that whole journey that he's on, he's, he's now wandering in the wilderness. He doesn't have a homeland in Genesis chapter 12. Uh, and, and he goes before Pharaoh. And, and in my mind, it, it, it doesn't seem like he should do that or it's right to do that, but it almost seems in some ways much less um, offensive than this one is uh, because we know that Abraham, Abraham is a man with a, a fighting force that rivals nation states. He's won many battles. He's won many wars. He's won many victories. He's uh, seen God do tremendous things. And, and can I listen to me? Abraham is not a new follower of Christ in this text. Abraham's not a new believer. Abraham's been doing this for a while. At least 25 years, but we would assume much before the calling of God in his life in Genesis chapter 12. So right at 25 years, Abraham is, is walking with Jesus. He's a mature believer. He's seen God do great things. He's seen God do great victories. And he comes and he faces this obstacle yet again. And the first thing that he does when he comes to Gira and why he does this, we'll get into it a little bit. The first thing he does, and, and he seems to offer this, it doesn't seem like like he's in peril yet. It doesn't seem like he's in danger or jeopardy, but he, he says, oh, by the way, if you're looking, she's my sister. She's my sister. Well, Abimelech, the king of Gira, and I don't understand all of this. Sarah's 90 years old. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to be carnal here, but I've never known a man to go, man, she is hot, 90. I got to have her in my harem. I, just, I got so many jokes that I'm going to let go tonight for the sake of time. Sometimes people, people <laughs> say to me, like, you're really funny. I'm like, you have no idea what goes on in this head. And what's not said most of the time I mean, 
I mean, can you just imagine it? Like, here's Abimelech. Okay, I'll tell you a couple of them. Can you just imagine it for a minute that here's Abimelech and he's, he's standing up and, and they, they're watching Abraham and his whole entourage come in and beautiful young maidens coming in. And he's, he's got almost 400 fighting men, at least previously in Genesis, what was it, 13, 14, when he fights with Lot and his, his, his empires, if you will want to call it that, his empires only expanded. And so we would assume that he's got much more. And so they're watching all these people come in. They're watching. I mean, it's not like they got anything else to do. And they don't have cable yet. And, um, and so they're watching folks come in. I mean, is it Abimelech just sitting up there on a hill going, oh, dude, who's the chick with the cane? Wow. Wow. I got to get her number. Whoa. Holy cow. Talk about assisted living right here, you know. Man. <laughs> hey, listen, go offer her some tapioca. Take the good stuff. <sighs> See if I can win her heart that way. I mean, <laughs> I'm going to stop. But Take her a blanket. I bet she's cold. Bring her over. Tell her I'll warm her up. I don't know. Maybe she needs some heat. I mean, but she's 90 years old. Now, now again, I, I, I've tried to study this out to the point of just making myself laugh and dizzy with trying to figure out what is so appealing. And really the thing that, that we assume to some, re, and, and again, everybody says the same thing. Nobody knows. But the, the most plausible thing is because of her position, she was desired. Maybe not because of her beauty. But we don't know all of that. Some people say, well, it just means that, that 90 is not 90. and that didn't. No, 90 is 90 or the story doesn't count. Because she was well past her years of giving birth, she says back in, was it 17 and 18? I mean, she, she makes that statement when God visits with them in chapter 18. That, that the time of my life, the time of women has passed me by. That's not a 24-year-old. And so she's, she's a woman in her, in her, that's 90 years old and the king comes and the king takes her and I'll let you tell the jokes yourself or we can meet after service and we're not online and, and we can tell them. But he goes and, and he takes her and in verse number three, God comes to Abimelech in a dream and, and he says to Abimelech, I mean, look at verse number three, Abimelech, you are a dead man. When God tells you you're a dead man, you better listen because he's not playing around. I remember after high school, I'd made the really wise decision to do my own thing. I didn't want to follow God. I didn't want to follow God's plan. I was tired of being in church. I was going to have fun in the world. And, and I was a believer and I knew it. I was saved, but I was just going to enjoy life like everybody talked about enjoying life. And so, uh, I mean, I never did anything majorly bad or whatever, but I was just a spirit. I had the spirit of a rebel in my life. And I remember one night, it was a Friday night, I was with some friends. We were in the happening city of Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Yeah, that's right there up on partyscene.com. Um, I was in the city of Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and, and my friend Eric and Hezekiah were in the car with me. We're driving back. It's late at night, and I'm driving back. It's the month of, of August, or, or July, rather. It's the middle of July, and we're driving back, and... 
and a little cool outside because of Spokane and that general area, eastern Washington, the panhandle of Idaho. And, and we're driving back and we're coming back on, I forget the highway or the interstate that we're on 70, I think it is. And, and we're coming around the bend in Post Falls, Idaho. And Hezekiah is asleep and Eric is asleep in the back and it's just me and Keith Sweat on the radio. Some of you have no idea what that meant, but don't look it up. Save it for afterwards. And, uh, and I'm just listening to that, and I'm just, you know, just trying to get home uh, without falling asleep. And, and I'll never forget, as I rounded the bend in, in Post Falls, Idaho, I, I, I mean, as clear as if the Lord was sitting, and I'm not talking about like a charismatic prophetic event or any of this, but it was clear as though the Lord was sitting in the seat next to me, these words. If you don't get your act together by September, I'll never forget it, you're dead. And I, I kind of looked around. I'm like, Eric, Hez, you guys awake? Keith Sweat's still swinging, singing. Now I'm sweating. It was Chris Sweat and Keith Sweat. Man, it was a do out of sweat. Are you... And, and so, I, I mean, I left the music on because I didn't want to wake those guys up, and I'm kind of crying, and I'm praying, uh, and I, I hadn't been praying very much. Like, like, I wasn't really trying to seek after the Lord. I was really just trying to do my own thing, and I'll, I'll never forget that time. I mean, I could take you there. It, today, if you go there, there is a rest stop on the, on the bend as I was, as I was driving, and uh, I can remember that spot. It, it, you have till September. Well, that was a... It's the only time it's ever happened in my life that, that I felt that spirit of the Lord speak to me. That's a powerful statement. Abimelech hears that. You're dead. Abimelech protests. I had nothing to protest. Abimelech protests. And, and, and Abimelech said, I've I, I not come near her. And Lord, will thou slay a righteous nation? I mean, these guys had already heard about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and the destruction that was there. And they knew how wicked Sodom and Gomorrah was. And they said, Lord, will you, will you destroy someone that is righteous? Or the word righteous here means conforming to a given standard. God, we're trying to conform to your standard. Are you, are you going to destroy us? God, verse number five, God, she, he said she's my sister and she said, he's my brother. God, I did this in integrity. I did this with a clear conscience. I, I was innocent in, in, in all of this. I was free of any guilt. God, I wasn't trying to do the wrong thing. They lied. God responded in verse number six. I know you did this in integrity, but I restrained you. Oh, Church member, friend, could I encourage you to thank God for his restraining grace that keeps us from our own stupidity? Where would we be apart from the restraining grace of God? Left to ourself, we would all be so, so wicked and we'd make so many foolish decisions. There's a person left our church one time and later divorced her husband and uh, she wanted me to hear. They said in her words, she said, I just want Pastor Chadwick to know that the reason why I left Canyon Ridge and why I made our family leave Canyon Ridge is I never would have divorced my husband had I stayed there. I 
needed to get away so I could divorce my husband. And I thought, well, I've shared that illustration before, but it's so clear here. I thought, I'll praise the name of the Lord that, that there's a measure of his restraining grace in this place that keeps me from myself. So Abimelech is talking to the Lord. God says, I didn't allow you to touch her, so you restore this man, his wife. He's a prophet. He'll pay for you, pray for you, but you restore him. So verse number eight, Abimelech's like, dude, he's not sleeping anymore. He wakes up early. He calls all of his servants, his cabinet, if you will. He tells them everything that happened, verse number eight, and they were sore afraid, and then he brings Abraham into the palace and, and into his lodging and he says Abraham and they have this interaction what were you doing why would you do this to me I wasn't trying to hurt you I wasn't trying to cause problems I just see this this really hot looking 90 year old woman I want to marry her and she's single and you said she's your sister and she said she's your brother Bro, you're killing me here, almost literally. Why would you do this? And Abraham said, well, I, I didn't think you guys feared God. And she is my sister, I'm daughter of my dad, but not the daughter of my mom. And this has been our agreement for for decades almost, well, for at least two, possibly a little longer than that, that whenever we went somewhere, baby, you tell them, we agree with this all the way back going into Egypt, that, that whenever we go anywhere, you tell them you're my sister. And if you tell them you're my sister, notice what he says. You tell them you're my sister and, and, and every place we shall go and you tell them that I'm your brother and, and they'll keep me alive. This is the kindness that you can show unto me. And so Abimelech gives Sarah back to Abraham and Abimelech gives an offering to Abraham of sheep and oxen and manservants and women servants. Verse number 14, and restores his wife and Abraham prays for Abimelech and the life of Abraham continues. I want you to see three quick things tonight. Number one, I want you to see the impact of inconsistency. We don't have slides. I just want you to sometimes just listen to a message and just take notes where God speaks to you. The impact of inconsistency. Because we often think that, oh, my inconsistency only affects me. My inconsistency only affects me, doesn't really affect anyone else. But Abraham's inconsistency jeopardized his blessing. Abraham's inconsistency jeopardized his blessing. He, he, he very nearly... I mean, literally, right? now we don't have, the Bible doesn't give dates, but what we can say from a chronological study of 19, 20, 21 is that the time period between the end of chapter 20 and the beginning of chapter 21 is short. It's not long. I mean, Abraham was, was within a very short period of time of, of totally compromising or jeopardizing his blessing. And had it not, verse number six, been the restraining hand of God, Abraham would, because of his inconsistency, destroyed the blessing of God. Because then it could have been said that Sarah was given seed from Abimelech. 
and God's name would have been tarnished. I mean, this is literally happening right before his time. Abraham's inconsistency jeopardizes blessing. It reminds me a little bit of like people tithing. I know I've been on a tithing kick today and it just seems to fit. Um, I've, been, I've been on a tithing kick and I've been obedience to the scripture and opened the door to God's blessing in your life kick. But here's what happens. People want to tithe for about two weeks and then they find something that they want and they want to stop tithing and then they want to tithe for a week and then they find something and they just, they're, they're inconsistent. They'll do it, not do it, 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 do it, not do it. And then they're like, well, God hasn't blessed me and I've been tithing for years. No, no, no. You've been inconsistently tithing for years. It's like the average American's workout plan. Just, just being honest with you. People start working out and they stop and they start and they stop and they start and they stop and they start and they stop. And they're like, I don't know why this doesn't have an effect. Well, because of your lack of consistency. Inconsistency jeopardizes the blessing. Mm-mm. Single people. I, I, I have worked really diligent to stay pure. And you have. But then you have it, and then you have, and then you have it, and then you have, and you met some guy, and you have it, and you met some girl. I, I haven't viewed porn in, in a while, Pastor. Well, that's great, but we're inconsistent about it, and we're thinking about it, and it jeopardizes the blessing. Oh, I want the blessing. Well, the blessing for Abraham was following 25 years of consistency. God had predetermined in his sovereign providential plan that he was going to require that Abraham would do this for 25 years. They were at 24 in a month or something. He's inconsistent. Well, I, I've just been doing this, and then I stop, and I have, here's what we say, I have good days, and I have bad, and that's human to some degree, but I have good days, and I have bad, and I'm okay, and I'm not okay, and I'm going back, and I'm going forth. You're just inconsistent. It jeopardizes the blessing. Number two, Abraham's inconsistency compromised his wife's morality. Men, did you hear what I said? His inconsistency compromised her morality. Now, this is not beat up on men night by any stretch of the imagination, but I will remind all of the men of Canyon Ridge Baptist Church that you are to be the spiritual shepherd of your home. You're to be the overseer of your home. That is your responsibility. Now, you're not supposed to do it alone. Your wife is to help you. Your wife is to encourage you. But this is your God-given responsibility. And Abraham literally takes his wife, says, she's my sister. He knows what's going to happen. She's going to become part of the harem of Abimelech. And and she's going to, well, they're going to have relationships, if you will. And it's going to compromise everything thing about his life and it's going to compromise it's compromising her moral integrity because of his inconsistency I wonder the kind of garbage that men watch in their home oh pastor what I watch I don't let the family see really you watch something so bad your wife and kids can't see it you know I'm just well I mean there's things 
that, listen, I, I don't want to watch anything, maybe a documentary every once in a while that somebody recommends that maybe my wife couldn't handle because of the nature of it. But very, very rarely should that even be the case. I'm trying to remember the last time that's happened in my, in my, in my marriage and my family. I, Debbie would probably be able to tell you more than me. But I don't ever want to watch a movie. I don't ever want to watch a program. I don't ever want anything on my phone. I don't ever want anything on my screen that my wife cannot see. You say, well, well why is that? Well, I don't want to compromise compromise her morality. I don't want my wife seeing something on a screen and her thinking that that's what I find is the picture of beauty or the picture of of success or the picture of fun. I I don't want the world setting the standard. Why? Because I want to be a man of God. I don't want to be some worldly loser. And by the way, young ladies, let me tell you, if some dude is dabbling with pornography, he's not the dude for you. Dude's a loser. You say, well, Pastor, I struggle with pornography. You call me a loser? Yeah, I am. You're violating every command of God. You say, well, it's hard. I know it's hard. What, it's easy for other men? No, the reason that you're dabbling in it is because you think the world has more to offer you and those of you who are married or who will one day be married need to gather some backbone enough to throw away your computer, give up your phone, give up everything and be consistent in your walk with God and stop jeopardizing and compromising the moral frame framework of the family you have or the family you will have. He's compromising his wife's morality. If you're a young guy and you're addicted to porn, you have no business even thinking about liking girls. I I, I mean, don't like guys, but, but you have no business even thinking about it. And girls... Well, Pastor, every guy struggles with it. No, not every guy. And it better to be single for life than married to a sleazeball. Better to be single for life than a guy spending two hours in the bathroom and you know what's going on. You're being pretty clear tonight. Come to men's retreat. It's about time we get clear about this stuff because pornography and pornography use is not much different in the church than it is in the world. It's running rampant and people think, oh, it's just no big deal. Everything's okay. No, no, you're compromising the moral framework of your family. Let let me take this in a different way. Ladies and men, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, your marriage relationship that is inconsistent, this is not pastor trying to make this up, But verse number four and five, you're given for the mutual physical benefit of one another and your inconsistency compromises the morality of your spouse. That's why Satan Satan says a lot of things. That's why the scripture says to be active in your engagement, Chadwick Street version when kids are in the room, to be active in your engagement so that Satan tempt you not. The phrase tempt you not means simply to compromise your moral position. Well, I've got hurts. Listen, we want you to get help with your hurts. We want you to get victory over your hurts. And sometimes you have victory and sometimes you don't. But your inconsistency is causing great, tremendous problems. Well, I don't feel like I just, I don't feel like I need it, Pastor. Well, maybe you don't, but you got married. If you didn't need it, shouldn't have got married. But you got married. 
And now you have a biblical responsibility to your spouse to care for their needs. And I'm talking men to women and women to men. It's a mutual care, one for another. And inconsistency is destroying marriages. Verse number three and four. God said to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, thou art but a dead man for the woman thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. And Abimelech had not come near her. And he said, Lord, wilt thou slay also a righteous nation? Verse number 9. And Abimelech called Abraham and said unto him, What hast thou done unto us? What have I offended thee? That thou hast brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin. Thou hast done deeds unto me that ought not to be done. Abraham, number three, Abraham's inconsistency placed the lost world in peril. His inconsistency didn't only affect him. It affected the people around him that don't know God. You thought you could just stop in the liquor store and get a fifth of whiskey and get in your car and go home and nobody would know. The dude behind the counter knows. You thought you could order it and just have somebody deliver it and nobody knows dude behind the counter dude delivering it knows lady delivering it knows somebody knows it puts the world in peril Oh, I can just watch this thing. I can see this thing. I can I can do this thing and no one will ever find out. Oh, they'll find out. They'll always find out. God always brings sin to light. Always. And it puts the lost world in peril. We talked about it some this morning. The jokes that you tell. The things that you laugh at. The racial slurs that you make. It affects the lost and dying world that's around you. And aligned with that, Abimelech tells his servants all the things in their ears in verse number eight, and the men were sore afraid. This is not a godly fear that they have. They're just like, dude, what in the world? This Abraham guy is a loser. He's gonna get us killed. Abraham's inconsistency was a testimony to the lost world. It put him in peril, but it's also a testimony. What's your testimony with the people that you work with? What's your testimony if you uh, let a non-believer see your YouTube channel or your Twitter feed with a name that's not yours or Instagram or whatever? What's your testimony with those folks? You see, your inconsistency affects more people than just you. Well, I've just been struggling lately. Isn't it interesting how that we can take sinful inconsistency and call it a struggle? No, no, it's, it's a sin and it affects people. Well, we have to ask this question, why was Abraham inconsistent? I think we, this is a question of motivation and we only can address it insofar as the scripture addresses it. 
But I think we see some things in this text. Verse number 11, Abraham said, because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place. The word fear is a positive quality, meaning preventing people from sinning. And Abraham thought this. Abraham thought, well, I didn't think there was any restraint with these people. I thought they'd just do whatever they wanted to do. Here's the idea. Why would Abraham be so inconsistent? Because Abraham underestimated God's protection. Abraham underestimated God's protection. Well, if I go in there and they see how hot my 90-year-old wife is, they're going to kill me for her. But they, they, he under, I mean, do we not read through this entire account, the protection of God on his life? Did not, back in chapter 12, when, when we started this series, did not we see God protecting Abraham and protecting Sarah and protecting the promise that he made? Abraham just simply underestimated God's protection. Well, I, I got to marry somebody. I might as well marry her. I don't want to be alone for the rest of my life and he can breathe so he's qualified. You're underestimating what God is trying to do. Some of you, it's, it's not always sexual. Matter of fact, I would argue this. Probably the, the inconsistencies in a conservative Christian church, evangelical church like ours, the inconsistency is probably more spiritual and emotional. Where you start getting upset with other people around you and, and your boss and your coworkers and, and you're just ticked off. And the reason that you're often ticked off is you just don't think and you don't believe that God is in control. You fail to understand the sovereignty of God. You fail to understand the protection of God. And you think that you're out all alone, all by yourself. And come on, nobody's there to protect you and nobody's there to help you. And you even say things in the quietness of your own mind, like I'm left on this island all by myself. Meanwhile, there's a God up in heaven going, I put you there. What are you talking about? I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Why do you think that you're all alone? If you look at the second part of verse number 11, surely there's no fear of God in this place. He goes on, and they will slay me for my wife's sake. Abraham was more concerned about his personal well-being than the well-being of his family. Abraham was more concerned about his personal well-being than the well-being of his family. Why was he inconsistent? Why did he give up his wife? Because he's more concerned about himself. Why are you inconsistent? Because you're more concerned about yourself. Because you're more concerned about yourself. Well, that'll be hard. I don't mean to be unkind, but some of you are the biggest wusses the world has ever seen. Like, well, it's just difficult. I mean, Pastor, yeah, life is hard. Well, why does it have to be that way? Because of sin. When's it going to be over? When we get to heaven. It's not going to be over because you got a new position. It's not going to be over because you got a new job. It's not going to be over because you moved to a new town. It's not going to be over because you got a new boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife. None of that's going to be. You are in a sin-cursed world, and the world stinks, and we're in tribulation. But be of good cheer. Jesus has overcome the world, and in him we can have peace. But if you're living for yourself and your own personal well-being, you're going to always be inconsistent. You will consistently be inconsistent. Because it's all about yourself. Well, woe is me. 
I was talking to a senior saint recently, not here. And they're like, I just don't have anything to offer. I'm just ready to die. I said, you know the bummer part about that? And they're like, what? You're in perfect health. <laughs> you got a long time to be sad. <laughs> I mean, if you're on your deathbed and ready to die, that's one thing. But if you're in perfect health with no sickness problems, you're trying to eat donuts to die early, I mean, you got a problem. Abraham was just, he was only concerned about Abraham. And that if I could be so candid as to say that the reason most folks are inconsistent is because they, they're concerned about their own well-being and what they like and they, they want this and they want that and they're not getting treated fairly. Hey, can I be super candid with you? Life's not fair. Hey, young men, life's not fair. Hey, older folks, life's not fair. Hey, Pastor Chadwick, life's not fair. It's just not always fair. I'm not trying to be unkind. It's just that way. That's the reality. Not saying it doesn't mean it di it's different. Declaring it just says, okay, I'm going to trust in the sovereignty of God. I'm going to do my best for the rest of my life to live for Christ and I'm going to do it consistently and I'm not going to go up here and I'm not going to go down here and I'm not going to have mountaintops and deep valleys. I'm just going to live consistently for Christ. The reason for his consistency I don't know if this is a reason or a byproduct, but it, it bears that I have to say it. That Abraham compromised his character with a half-truth. She is my sister, Abimelech. She's the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. Dude married his half-sister, which was allowed in that time. Not today. You do that today, you're creepy or from Kentucky. Probably both. But in that day, it was, it was allowed. God changed that, obviously, in the law. God obviously changed that. But in that day, that was allowed. And she, she became my wife. And so what Abraham did was he shared a half-truth. And, and we all know this, a half-truth is a whole lie. Let me say it again, a half-truth is a whole lie. You share a half-truth with somebody, you're just lying to them. You're disrespecting them. You're, you're, you're letting them know that you do not value them. And Abraham thought he could get out of this by probably even telling himself a half-truth. Well, she is my sister. Well, I mean, the goldfish is a dependent, so I can add that to my taxes. I mean... Baxter is six pounds. It's free porn. I don't have to pay for it. I was just watching her walk down the beach. I'll just stay up late and that way my husband or my wife will go to sleep without me night number 27 in a row. I just have a headache. I, I know it's God's tithe, but I've got to do things that are really important with it. He's just inconsistent. And he's lying to himself. And in verse number 13, came to pass when God caused him to wander from my father's house that I said, this is thy kindness which thou canst show unto me at every place, whither we shall come, say unto me, he is my brother. Now here's the idea. Abraham bought into the world's idea 
He bought into the world's idea. He bought into the world's idea. I'm about to share the world's idea, but he bought into the world's idea. The world's idea and God's idea are always in opposition to one another. The world's idea and God's idea are always in opposition to each other. Always. And if they look like they're in agreement, that's because you misunderstand God's idea. The world, by the world, we mean this system, I don't mean system of government, though that could be included, but this system that is in opposition to God's word and God's law and God's principles and precepts, the world is always in opposition to God. And Abraham bought into the world's idea. Well, what did he buy into the world's idea? Here's what he bought into, that his wife was expendable. Because the world in that day gave no value to women. Just like in our day, we're seeing, I, I wonder sometimes where the feminists of my childhood are. It's like they've all gone to sleep and they don't care about what's going on and the abuse women are facing in our world and the abuse of the transgender movement that is just pushing the weakest women out. Ladies, let me just be super candid with you. It's not gonna be long before, before ladies are facing tremendous abuses in their life and, and it, it's caused by people wandering farther and farther and farther from the biblical idea of women, yes, being the weaker vessel and yes, being the treasured vessel. Peter succinctly, we don't have time to deal with all of that, but Peter succinctly says it this way. Likewise, your husbands dwell with them, your wives, according to knowledge, giving honor or position unto the wife. How? As unto the weaker vessel. Weaker how? Weaker physically, possibly weaker emotionally. Not always, but possibly weaker emotionally. But you treat your wife as though you are her protector, you are her provider, you care care for her and you treat her as though she is an heir together of the grace of this life. Why? That your prayers be not hindered. You know, when you're with weaker people, you're a little bit more vigilant. If you view them as weaker. If I go out to eat with some of the guys in the church and we're just hanging out, no big deal. I don't really worry too much. We just go out, we eat, have a good time. We're good to go. I go out with my dad, who's 77. He's weaker. Not negative, he's just 77. You're 77, you're older. Brother Ralph's dad's about the same age as my dad. They're kind of in that same age group. When you go out with your dad and they're that old, you're more vigilant. You walk a little slower. You make sure that you're looking for curbs that, 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 that might jump up and grab them. I mean, Bill's like, me too. <laughs> but you're, you're trying to watch for those things. You're, you're making sure they can get in the car. Hey, Dad, do you need help getting in the car? My dad's like, what do you think I am, old? No, nope, don't think that at all. That's right. No, I know you're old. Oh, you shut your mouth. I remember whipping you when you were a kid. I'll do it again. I'll lay you across my lap. I said to him last time he said that, you want me to lay across your lap? You'll never get up. You'll just die there because I won't get up and I'll laugh the whole time. You'll starve to death. Your mother will save me. <laughs> All 97 pounds of her, yes. But, but when you're with weaker folks, 
you treat them with special protection and special care. You're watching out for them. You're making sure they're okay. Especially, here's what Peter is telling the churches in in Asia Minor in in 1 Peter 3, 7. Especially your wives. You want to protect your wife physically. You want to protect your wife physically. Some of you young dudes that are really, really good, you say, why are you worried about young guys? Because I'm watching young men just get destroyed in our culture with effeminacy. Some of you young guys in our church, you are black belts at video games and some of the junior high girls could knock you out. I'm just going to tell you right now, I wouldn't let my daughters date you if literally you were the last man on the planet earth. Humanity would die if you were the only one. You say, well, why do you feel that way about us? Who's going to protect my daughter and my grandkids? If, if, if my daughters could knock you out, why would I want them to date you and ultimately marry you? Does she have to carry you across the threshold too so you can make it to your video games? So you can spend another few hours checking out Facebook? Are you kidding me? Are you, there's an expectation in Scripture that you would be men. I'm going to put my glasses on because I want to see your reactions. So I can stay a little longer if I need to. There's an expectation in scripture that you would be men. I'm not trying to be unkind. But somebody needs to call out that this generation needs to be men who will stand up and be men and be willing to protect their family. It's a biblical ideal. I'm not trying to be chauvinistic. We're not trying to be aggressive. We're just saying this is your responsibility. I've never, I've counseled, I don't know, a lot of women, probably most of them would say too many, like that they were one too many. But I've never known a woman in my life going, I just wish my husband was weaker. I just want to marry a a man that's just soft and tender. I, I just want somebody where we could just talk about the scent of Yankee candles and we can give each other like, you know, scrub things and... And he likes that little loofah thing in the shower. I'll tell you what I do. I look at that thing. I'm like, I wonder how many. And I'll just start pulling that thing apart. With Debbie's more, I just, I'm intrigued by them. I just pull them apart. You say, how do you wash in the shower? Who washes? Totally. That's why I buy good cologne. Uh, like a junior hire at youth camp. Why shower? Just put on more cologne. Well, pastor, I'm not as big as you. Listen, you don't have to be as big as me to be the protector of your family. Not at all. We're not talking about that at all. We're not talking about being macho. I'm not trying to be macho here. I'm trying to help us to understand that Abraham made a tremendous error because his, he found his wife expendable. My dad, when my brother, my sister could attest to this, when my brother and I were young, my, my dad would take Mondays off, and Monday nights, I can still remember in a, a house on 152nd Street, Spanaway, Washington. You know, and in Washington, it rains all the time. I, my friend, Justin, our, our friend, Justin Burkholder, is preaching at a church up there. Kind of an interesting story, but he's preaching up there this weekend, and, and I talked to him. He goes, dude, it is gray, and the people are already angry. And, uh, you know, it starts raining in about September, and it start, stops in the middle of August. Literally, like, 
who wants to live there, but whatever. And, and I can remember my dad taking my brother and I as, as little boys. I mean, I, I, I probably had to be six or seven. My brother was 25. And um, my, dad, my dad would get on his knees with me, put on boxing gloves. And, and here's what we, we would box. We would box. My dad had been a boxer growing up, and my dad would box, which this is what boxing meant with my dad. I got to swing, and he punched me in the face. That's what it meant. It was like, it was like he would punch me. He'd be like, okay, Chris, put your guard up. And I'd be like, what's my guard? Pop! Okay, see how I did that? Yeah, you want to put your hands up to prevent that from happening. So I would put my guard up, and I'd, you know, I'd do one of these things because I'm like four, and I'd do this. And he hit me in the belly. And like, why are we doing this? doesn't seem fun at all to me. And he's like, one day you'll have a family, and you'll have to teach your sons how to do it. And so God gave me daughters. Uh, and, 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 and literally, I, I did, for what seemed like hours on end, it was probably more like 30 seconds, but for what seemed like hours on end, he'd punch me in the face and teach me how to bob and weave and tackle and bite and, 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 and do all of it. You say, bye. Well, my mom trained me on that one. Um, but we, would, we, we were learning how to protect ourselves. And, and men, can I tell you, you need to learn how to protect your family. You say, well, my dad didn't teach me how to do that. Then go to a jujitsu uh, academy. Then learn how to fight. Go to, join the military. Buy a gun. Do something. But learn how to protect your family. Physically. Spiritually. Make sure they're in church. Well, they don't want to come. I didn't ask you that question. Make sure they're in church. Some of you are online going, well, we're doing just fine. Just watch it on the couch. No, it's not the same thing. You say, well, you're saying that because you want us here. No, I'm saying that because the scripture says, for sake not the assembling of yourselves together. The word assembly does not mean Facebook or live or YouTube. I'm not against those in, in a general sense, but they can never replace the house of God. Protect your family spiritually. They are not expendable. Hey, protect your family financially. I'm tired of hearing young men go, I just can't get a job. What? There's 10 million, literally over 10 million job openings in the U.S. right now. Over 10 million. In, in our daycare right now, we're pretty much just walking out on the street and finding anybody that has a pulse. I know they're passed out on the side of the road, but check them. So Bree's over there putting on her gloves. She's like, I, I think it's a pulse. Gloria's got a stethoscope. Like, yeah, their heart's beating. Okay, bring them in. Let's have them apply. Dude's like walking in. What is going on? Just apply, just apply. Bree says as they leave, if the job doesn't work out, maybe we could date. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I told you there's a lot of things that come out that I just don't say, but I just felt like that was one I should share with the church family at large, Bree, sorry. Welcome to a staff meeting. Um, get, a, get a job, get two jobs, get a good job. Don't satisfy for a crummy job. You want to be self-employed, be self-employed. Well, it's California, it's the second hardest state in the nation to do business. Okay, 
It's either easier than China. Get a good job. You see, you're talking to me. I'm talking to young men. I'm talking to old men. Some of you are in the military. You're doing great. Keep it up. But stop viewing your family as expendable. They are not. They are God's gift to you, and you have a responsibility to care for their needs. I've got to finish. I went way too long. If y'all wouldn't laugh at my jokes, these messages would probably be longer and way less fun. Well, this story is not, or this account is not really an account about Abraham, and it's certainly not an account about Abimelech. It's an account about God, as all the Bible is. Well, what's God's response to all of this? This is so intriguing to me. Verse number 14. And Abimelech took sheep and oxen and men servant and women servants and gave them to Abraham and restored him Sarah, his wife. After all of Abraham's failure, God still blessed him. God still blessed him. It's important to note, the blessing was not because of Abraham's sin. Did you hear me? The blessing was because of God's righteousness. Because more than Abimelech violating Abraham and Sarah, Abraham, or Abimelech was well on his way to violating the promise of God. And so God protected him. And God says, uh, now, here's what I want you to do. Uh, and, and we read that in uh, the earlier part of this chapter. I'm looking for the verses and I'm just missing it. But God says, Abimelech, this is what you're going to do. You're going to give the wife back. You're going to give Sarah back to Abraham. And I want an offering given to Abraham. And I, to me, this is the most beautiful part maybe of our entire study so far. Because this is, this is the second time that Abraham has done this foolishness. This is the second time that Abraham has told that we have recorded, told this half-truth, which is a whole lie. In verse number 17. So God pray, Abraham prayed unto God and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maidservants and they bear children. See, we don't know how long Abraham had and Sarah had been separated and Sarah been in the harem of, of Abimelech. But it would seem as though, again, we're, we're drawing conclusions based on this, but we won't hold tightly to them because the scripture doesn't say. But it seems like long enough to know that nobody's getting pregnant. I mean, it just seems that way. You see what I'm saying? I mean, again, we're not, we're not trying to say this definitively, but it seems as though that's the case. Like they realize like, hey, no one's getting pregnant. So I don't think this was a matter of hours, probably not even days, probably not even weeks, maybe, maybe two or three months. Now, again, can't be hard and fast about that, but that takes a while, especially in that world, to know if you're pregnant. And nobody's getting pregnant. And pregnancy in the scripture is always a sign of God's blessing. And pregnancy to the Christian is always a sign of God's blessing. It's a sign of God's blessing. 
And so Abimelech is there. His wife, his maidservants, the people in his kingdom. Some commentators believe that nobody in Abimelech's kingdom in the whole region of Gira, that nobody's getting pregnant. And they need people for the survival of the people. And so God, you listen to this phrase, after this major, major failure on Abraham's part and this major inconsistency in Abraham's life, God, after Abraham is restored, God uses Abraham right away. Well, what do you mean? I mean, Abraham totally messed up. And God uses him again right away. God doesn't let him, listen to me, God doesn't let him sit and wallow in his, in his sin. God doesn't let him wallow in his failure. God doesn't let Abraham just go, oh, I'm such a loser. Good grief, I can't believe I did that again. Are you serious? No, no, God says, Abraham, I, I want you praying for Abimelech. Here, here's an illustration, I'll make some comments, we'll go home. Or do whatever we're going to do. I'll never forget, I was um, about 10 or 11 years old. My sister was driving home from school, South Meridian Baptist Academy in Puyallup, Washington. And we were driving home and, and there was, a, like, like everywhere, there was a normal way and there was a back way. And for no reason other than she just wanted to go, which is totally fine, we were going the back way one day. And come out of the school, you'd take a left, you'd take the first right through this neighborhood, you'd take a left, and eventually you'd find your way to our house. You'd take a few more turns, but you get the idea. Well, there was this house on a street that you turn left that had a giant bush. I mean, here's a big bush. I can still remember how big this bush was. It's huge, huge. And you couldn't see the street. Gloria, being a young girl, um, driver, which is a compounded problem, young girl, driver, in the rain, nothing's good about that. Nothing is good about that. Not a single thing. It's not good to have an old girl driver. In the rain. Some of you are like, I, he, I hate him. But it, we're supposed to turn left. You still remember, we're supposed to turn left. And as she goes to turn left, she doesn't see a car, and we get nailed. Now, we'd been in some big accidents before, but this one wasn't big, but it was an accident. And, and Gloria, I, I don't know everything that transpired. You could ask her the whole story. Uh, but she called my dad and my my. Dad came. I don't know if my mom came. She probably didn't. She didn't care at all. And um, she, my dad came and and uh, took care of the scene. And it was, it was they exchanged information and all of that. And and uh, as we we're getting ready to leave, I can remember my dad saying this to her, uh, Gloria, you you need to drive home. Now it probably didn't happen like my mind has it in my in memory, but I can remember Gloria protesting like Dad. I just got in a wreck. I can't drive. And my dad looking at her going, well, it's you or me and you're driving. I'm taking my car. And Gloria going, but, but dad, I was just in a wreck. 
Yep, get in the car and drive. And I remember these words. Now, again, she can correct me if I'm wrong, but I can remember these words. If you don't drive now, you'll never drive again. So you get in the car and drive. And so she was a crier, if you know her. She's a crier. And she's just weeping more than it's raining outside. And she's crying, just alligator tears. And I'm just standing over there. And I'm going, oh, no, this is bad. And then my dad said, Chris, you're riding with me. I thought, praise Jesus. Yes. <laughs> Hallelujah. I didn't have to ride home with her, Miss, you know, Miss Wrecker over there, you know, ruined the blue Ford Pinto. And uh, so I got in my dad's car and she got behind the wheel. And my dad was really good at this kind of stuff. He really, really was. Uh, I give him a hard time, both of my parents. But my parents were really good at saying, you had a near-death experience. Okay, have it again, but we're on our own. And... Um, or you're on your own. And so Glory just had to work through it by getting in the car and driving the whole way back home. And here's the deal. By the time she got back home, she was ready to drive again. Had my parents babied her and let her do her own thing, she never would have done it. That's what some of y'all with your kids, your kids fall down off a bike and you're like, okay, sweetheart, you skinned your knee, let's go home. You're just compounding a greater spiritual problem that when you fail, it's over. No, when you fail, it's an opportunity to do it again. And what God said to Abraham, in, in my mind, here's how it said, oh, you thought that I was done with you because you were inconsistent? Oh, no, son, the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. You get up, you're a prophet, you pray for this man, you bring uh, honesty back to this situation. I want you back serving me, and I'm not waiting for nine years for this to happen. We don't need counseling for this to happen. You don't need therapy for this to happen. Get on your pony and ride and pray for Abimelech and and you bring the healing that I intended you to bring to begin with. And that's what he does. And God uses him. And Abimelech is healed. And his family, or not he's healed, but his the, the women in his kingdom are bearing children again. And what happens? Oh, short period later. We'll look at it in two weeks. Oh, Sarah's having a baby. Does Sarah have the baby if Abraham doesn't pray? I don't know. We'll never know. But I'll tell you, this is imperative that we understand it. The perils of inconsistency. Thank you for listening. Hear more messages anytime at CanyonRidgeBaptist.com. If you're in the San Diego area, please join us for a service. We meet on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 o'clock p.m. We look forward to seeing you.